Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show. And today we have a story about a young lady named Rebecca Gwynn. We came across her in the Wall Street Journal article entitled, She Found Herself by Souping Up Her Subaru. Rebecca loves all things cars, and her life changed when she started doing modifications on her own vehicle. Rebecca grew up in Arizona with lots of dirt roads, the perfect environment. For a car lover, her parents were first-generation immigrants from Vietnam. Her father was the one that began teaching her about cars. Her first oil change was at just five years old. She is now the marketing manager of ClassicCars.com. Rebecca, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into cars. Uh, growing up, my dad was very, very me- mechanically inclined, and he was always always um, very thorough in teaching us anything and everything that he could, including something as simple as changing a tire on a, on a car or changing your oil. Um, and he really wanted to set us up for success for our future here in America. He taught us everything and anything he could, including maintaining your vehicle. So that's really where I think my passion for cars started, was having that, that time in the garage, you know, um, working 
side by side with the dad. I have the standard story of, you know, I held the flashlight for him and that's really where it started. Uh, and it gradually grew as my older brother started getting into cars on the performance side. So he had purchased an Acura RSX Type S and kindly enough, uh, you know, showed the ropes to his younger siblings. So when he was picking us up from school, he would let us shift gears for him or, you know, he would teach us a little bit about the car. And oddly enough, the Subaru that I, I now own, it was, it was originally his, uh, my older brother's. And when he went off to college, I ended up taking over it when I was 16. So it kind of was a family um, thing that slowly grew and, and naturally grew. And let's talk about that vehicle. It's a yellow Subaru WRX. And by the way, your brother taught you how to drive a manual, which is a lost art, but I think a lot of people should start by learning how to drive a manual. Talk about that car. You still have it. Talk about why you still have it. Yeah, he taught me how to drive a manual on that car. So essentially, it's the first car I've, I've driven. It's the first car I've ever had an experience behind the wheel. Um, and driving it specifically in a manual really made me feel like I was part of the car, that the car wasn't driving me, I was driving it. And um, my brother had a very uncanny ability to help you visualize what exactly is happening when you're operating the vehicle. So once he started giving me that visual, I think I got a little more interested on the mechanics of the car. Um, so gradually over time, um, I took over the car, I started kind of tinkering it on here and there, just doing the basic maintenance and whatnot. Um, but as I continued to um, own the vehicle. It's, you know, it's a 2003. Um, it's a, a Subaru WRX. Um, Sonic yellow is the OEM color. Um, but being a 2003, you know, things are slowly starting to fall apart. And, and, and in natural causes, you know, Arizona is very, very brutal in the summer heat. So we had, a, I had a lot of plastics that were falling apart, a lot of rubber hoses that I had to replace. It was really when the suspension started to give out. So I started looking at my options of what I could do to replace it, you know, either go with OEM or if there's any aftermarket options or, or anything of that nature. So that's when I started reaching out to some of the Subaru forums and the community here. And that's when I started getting involved in the community, specifically in Subarus. And I ended up purchasing coilovers for the car. Really, really happy with the coilovers I got. Um, but that gave me a chance to really take the car apart and put these coilovers are on and, and start to understand that the, the car has so many other opportunities to customize it to my, my wants and needs. So um, that's what really got the ball rolling of, well, what else can I do? So, and, and, you know, Rebecca, most people, when they hit that stage of car ownership, simply sell the car. You had other ideas. Talk about this thing called the community of young enthusiasts, as the Wall Street Journal said, who are loving this particular car. Certain cars, it turns out, are modified more easily, and some give a bigger bang for the buck than others on performance. Talk about this world that you discovered, because it's now a real part of your professional life in some way, isn't it? Absolutely. It definitely is. It, it's, it's hard to explain. There is a heritage that we follow as enthusiasts, right? The heritage of the manufacturer. Now, Subaru had plenty of roots in, in rally racing, and the Subaru WRX was specifically built for that. So um, being the first generation of WRX to come to the States, there was a, a following, a, a nostalgia that follows with it. And I think that's why a lot of the next generation of car collectors are really excited about this car because you don't see it as often. And it still relates to the newer body um, you know, WRXs. There's a, a heritage that has been continued over the last 20 years that they can now relate to. So. Um, as far as the aftermarket side of it, uh, as, as rally racing kind of ramped up and started becoming really um, attainable for the, the general consumer because of these aftermarket parts, that's when I believe a lot of people started getting into the customization and the, the performance upgrades. The aftermarket community is quite large and it, it's amazing that we can almost make some of these performance upgrades more um, affordable and easier to understand as well. For example, coilovers, you can, you can have any, a, a massive amounts of different types of adjustments and things like that, but there's also models out there that eliminate all of those more complicated adjustments and, and leave you with just some of the basic ones that you would need 
for you know street driving or you know, if you are trying to just do a little bit of off-road racing um, so it's nice that there's so many levels of enthusiasts possible and these aftermarket companies have kind of supported that um, along with that heritage of, of the Subaru. And we're listening to Rebecca Nguyen and we came across her story in the Wall Street Journal and I love the title of the article. She found herself by souping up her Subaru. And when we come back, more of Rebecca's story and its car enthusiasts across this country's story, including me and my little girl, Reagan, here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. We're back with Our American Stories, and we've been talking to Rebecca Nguyen. We found her in the Wall Street Journal and a story about her and her affection for her Subaru WRX 2003 and how she modified this car, took it apart, soup to nuts by herself. She is now the marketing manager for ClassicCars.com. Rebecca, what is this community of car enthusiasts like? There is a, a couple of forums that I started on. But getting involved in the community was so eye-opening because there's so many types of people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, you know, different interests and things like that. But there was this one icebreaker, which was our cars. So I've been able to meet a wide variety of people from different age ranges as well. And they've been able to converse with me um, on, an, on an even level to, to talk about op opportunities and options when it comes to our cars. So. I would say probably about 90% of what I've done with my car, I've probably consulted somebody in the community before actually doing it. And that's great. And talk about women in this field. Um, when I was watching guys drag race and modify cars, there were two girls and two young girls, and they were like 12 or 13, whose dads had them doing the same thing out of a field of a couple of hundred people who would go to Asbury Park, New Jersey, and drag race and drag race mm -hmm. perfectly legally because the cops knew it was going on and just didn't care. So, so talk about women now in the business that you're in and, and also in the hobby that is car enthusiasts. Uh, talk about women in the field. So women in the field, it's not as uncommon anymore, which is very exciting for me. I have quite a few of uh, inspirational role models out there right now. I mean, there's Joe Abete, I think her last name is, she's a fantastic driver. I, pay attention to what she's doing quite often. I think there's a complete women's F1 team as well. And then there's, you know, that we have female announcers now like Lorette Nickel. Yeah. So there's, there's quite a bit of uh, amount of female role models out there and they're, they're slowly coming into the spotlight a, a little more aggressively, which is very exciting. I think it's inspirational for the, the industry itself. I, I will say that in, in my field, uh, it, it has been few and far between. But I do feel like there's opportunities and the industry itself is supporting those opportunities for, for females to get into the industry. I know SEMA ha uh, has a couple of programs. I think they have uh, women in the network or something like that. And so there's programs out there as well that have been supportive of uh, this, this movement as well. Let's talk about your career in this space because it went from a hobby to, well, more than a hobby, you started really getting serious about making this car of yours a special one. And then you started going to car shows, shooting car photography. And then you and some friends launched Car Street Journal, a pun off of, of course, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, talk about these steps and how that led to you meeting a man named Roger Falcioni. And who is Roger? And what did that, what did that mean to you, that relationship? So walk us through the development of your sort of professional life, if you could, Rebecca. 
So I actually started in the restaurant industry. So I actually spent about 10 years in the restaurant industry. Started off as a hostess, moved up to a busser, ended up being a server, then a bartender, then a supervisor, then into a general manager. I have quite a bit of experience in customer service, you know, human relations essentially. And I, I slowly began establishing this, this passion for, for in, the interaction and networking with, with other people. And that kind of started to mold itself with the interactions I was having within the community, the car community. So that ended up growing into an experience where I wanted to bring something to the table for the community as like a thank you, you know, thank you for, for creating this environment in which that I could excel in and I felt comfortable and I found new friends and it was just everything positive was coming out of this experience. So I started putting together little car meets here and there, just a little meet and greet every Friday. Let's just hang out in the parking lot, chat, and then we all go home. Super simple. But as things started to grow, I started to look at other opportunities to elevate the experience. There was a, a few times where I went to several other car shows as a participant, and I started pulling ideas and, and understanding that there was there's an, another way to involve the community. So I started putting together car shows um, for Car Street Journal. And um, Car Street Journal was our platform to get the message out there. So to kind of assist that, that the initiative, we, we started doing media coverage. So that's where the photography started coming in. So as I was putting together these, these car shows to, for, for the, the local community in Arizona, I was traveling with Car Street Journal and doing media coverage of large events like uh, Global Rallycross, Formula Drift, um, SEMA, and, and, and events like that. As I was going through those events, I started to realize that there was, there was so much more to the industry and there's so many opportunities and different avenues and different types of, uh, of, of um, companies that could potentially benefit from what we were doing. So as we continued our, our mission of contributing to the, the car community, Roger Falcione, who is the CEO of the Collector Car Network, one of the companies that fall under the Collector Car Network is ClassicCars.com. Roger had noticed some of these events that I was putting together because of an employee of his had been attending them. So he was very interested in starting a car show of his own that he had had in mind for quite some time. So this employee of his actually ended up connecting us he had this idea of how do I connect classiccars.com with the next generation of car collectors? Um, it's essentially in an effort to almost re redefine what the term classiccars.com is. So he reached out to me uh, and asked me to assist him in, in coordinating this car show. So in 2016, we coordinated the first Future Collector Car Show, previously known as the Future Classic Car Show. And it was very successful. We had a, a wide variety of enthusiasts that attended with a wide variety of, of vehicles as well that didn't really know what ClassicCars.com was about. So it became this, this interesting experience of, of molding the, the old generation of car collectors and the new generation of car collectors into a single space. So as we grew the show, we've um, had a successful five-year run so far. This car show became such a success that Roger was on uh was was at a point where he felt that in order for this show to grow i needed to be part of the team uh full-time so at the time i was only doing it freelance so he offered me a full-time position and and that's kind of where i've grown in this industry the most is working directly under uh, roger in the, in his marketing department originally i started as the social media manager here and then graduated into um, the marketing manager. So it's been quite the journey for the last uh, about two years now, almost three. I've learned quite a bit about the industry and of course about digital marketing. And by the way, I'm going to read the final line in the Wall Street Journal piece because it's just so good. It has been inspirational getting involved in the WRX community, you wrote, speaking of the Subaru, while learning about this Subaru's legacy, it has helped me to create my own. And Rebecca, we thank you for joining us. And just a side note, my first car I ever, I ever built from scratch was a Mustang Fastback. I wanted Steve McQueen's car. But this is before the internet, too. So as you can imagine, tracking parts was going to salvage yards from Philadelphia to Boston. And I get all the parts, and I get this guy to put it all together, and I lay the whole thing out. I'm not mechanically inclined. The second day I had the car, I drove it to Washington, D.C. to show my pals. I left the car running out in front of Mr. Smith's on M Street, Went in for one second, came out, and the car was gone. And it wasn't old enough to be classically registered. So all I got was the value of a 1968 <laughs> Ford Mustang Fastback. Um, I would love to hear more about that story about 
everything that you've done to, to, to put that together. I would love, I feel like that's a great story for our, our journal. Um, we, we have an online magazine that we, we do some of the reader stories. That would be a fantastic story. I, I, that is insane. You can't even write that stuff. <laughs> and you have just heard a remarkable story. One of my favorites, actually. It's not this big, gigantic story. It's how we all live the American dream. And Rebecca's story, by the way, her father's story of coming here from Vietnam with nothing, loving the country he lived in, and then teaching his daughter when she was five years old how to do something like change their all. And what was he really doing? He was just sharing time with her, teaching her what he thought were some important skills that she could have down the road. And maybe, who knows, maybe she'll take a car apart one day. And she did. Rebecca Gwynn's story, so many young men and women's stories, their love affair with their cars, here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today 
to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash OAS. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is Our American Stories, and now a story from our own Monty Montgomery and Tim Harwood of Waterloo, Iowa's News Talk, 1540 KXELAM. Tim is the author of Ball Hawks, a sports history about the Waterloo Hawks, a professional basketball team. Here's Tim. During the era just after World War II, Waterloo had around 70,000 people, give or take. Waterloo is an industrial city. It's in the middle of the farm belt, but it was the first place where John Deere tractors were ever built. So a big manufacturing base that might have been more reminiscent of a Rust Belt city in Ohio or Indiana or Michigan. But this story isn't about John Deere tractors. It's about Basketball. Waterloo Hawks basketball. The Hawks of the late 1940s and into the first years of the 1950s were unique because they were, of course, the only major league level team that Iowa has ever had going beyond Waterloo. It's uh, a unique circumstance for the entire state, and Waterloo was in the right place at the right time. But to understand why Waterloo ever had a professional basketball team, we have to go back. Back to the Great Depression. During the Depression era, the best professional basketball players in the United States played for barnstorming teams. Uh, They'd travel around the country. They wouldn't have a set schedule. They'd pick up games as they could find them. And for the real stars of the era, they could make a, a very good living In fact, a better living doing that than they could trying to play for one team that might play two or three games a week. By the latter years of the Depression into the mid to late 1930s, there was a a major league that formed. It was called the National Basketball League eventually. And the name is something of a misnomer if you think of sports that are in the National Basketball Association or the National Football League or the big major leagues that we have today because the game took root in places like Fort Wayne, Indiana and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And there were a variety of reasons for that. They had industrial bases. Many of the teams of that era were owned by companies. And so the players who took those opportunities not only in many cases uh, played basketball, but also worked for the company that might have owned the team or for another large business in the community. The National Basketball League was the preeminent league, though, through World War II. Coming out of the war years, the owners of major arenas in the East primarily, Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, even Chicago Stadium, more toward the Midwest, and others got together and looked at basketball at the pro level as something that could fill their buildings. They, in many cases, had success with college basketball games, particularly at Madison Square Garden during the 1930s and 40s, and thought that they could fill 25 to 30 or maybe more dates in their buildings that otherwise might be idle with professional basketball. They formed their own league, the Basketball Association of America, and for a few years Post-World War II, the National Basketball League, the Basketball Association of America competed against each other. And the level of competition rose. It, It became challenging to try to get prestige. It became challenging to try to attract top players. There were bidding wars for players in some cases, and that got expensive because there wasn't nearly the money in professional basketball in the 1940s that there is today. 
It was a matter of determining who would control the future of professional basketball. They came up with a variety of ways to try to approach that situation, but in the off-season between the 1947-48 schedule and the 48-49 season, the Basketball Association of America hijacked four of the NBL's teams in their entirety. They talked the owners of the Minneapolis Lakers and the Fort Wayne Pistons and teams in Rochester, New York and Indianapolis, Indiana into jumping from one league to the other. So the National Basketball League in the summer of 1948 needed teams. They needed to fill out their roster of cities that would be able to make them a viable league. And they were able to add a few different clubs, including a team in Waterloo. The Hawks came into being because they had all the right elements in place. They had a hippodrome building on the National Cattle Congress fairgrounds that could seat seven to 8,000 people. They had a basketball floor that was in place that was brand new. And they had a reputation already for supporting sports teams. They also were in a very fortunate circumstance because a local who had moved on and become a wrestling promoter primarily in Des Moines had come into possession of the team's roster that had played in Toledo, the, the franchise uh, rights had gone to a former boxer and, and boxing promoter, wrestling promoter named Pinky George. Pinky had been a, a fighter in the 1920s and uh, ultimately had managed to make a career as a promoter through the Great Depression. He actually managed a couple of boxers who would fight Joe Lewis during their careers uh, as they made their way up to the top of the, the boxing world and uh, have a chance at the legendary champion of the era. He had originally intended to bring professional basketball to Des Moines, but the details just didn't come together. There wasn't the kind of support that he was hoping to have. It was challenging to find a venue to put the team in. And so because he was familiar with Waterloo, after having grown up uh, right next door in Cedar Falls, he decided that he'd put the Hawks in the Hippodrome. And uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm for that immediately from uh, Waterloo fans who always, uh, I think, felt like the city had a lot to offer. They felt like they had uh, big shoulders for a small city, I think would be a fair way to describe it. And so when they had this opportunity, they jumped at it. But the situation was still untenable between the two leagues. The Basketball Association of America hadn't extinguished the NBL. The National Basketball League was still hanging on. And with bidding wars for players with the efforts that both entities were having to put forth to try to claim that they were the preeminent league. It finally became inevitable. And you can tell from the acronyms that the two leagues used, the NBL and the BAA would come together. They'd merge and become the NBA. They lost several teams in the process, but Waterloo was determined, the community and its leaders were determined that they were going to keep a team in the city and have a chance to play against opponents from New York and Boston and Philadelphia and all of the places that you really do think of as major league destinations then and now. Waterloo had its place as they saw it, as the people of the time saw it, in major league basketball. You know, they had players who were all Americans. They had visiting teams coming in that had stars that people knew from their years in college and who had gone on into professional basketball. They had players from the World War II era who had served during the war prior to returning to college and then ultimately becoming professional basketball players. And you've been listening to Tim Harwood of Waterloo, Iowa's News Talk, 1540 KXCLAM. And this is a story of a league we all now know and the maturation of professional sports and hearing about these two leagues finally in the end the NBL and the BAA merging to form what we all now know as the NBA. And when we come back, more of the story of the Waterloo Hawks, a little piece of American sports history here on Our American Story.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. And we continue here with Our American Stories and the story of the Waterloo Hawks who, when we last left off, had joined the newly formed NBA. But before we get into the rest of the story, we have to know who the players on the Hawks were. Here again is Tim Harwood. Arguably the biggest star for the Hawks initially was a player named Harry Boykoff. At one point, he actually held the scoring record for Madison Square Garden as a college player. A big guy, a a lanky center, and uh, not particularly fleet of foot, but had a a tremendous personality at the same time. Actually had uh, played for a season in Toledo before he came to Waterloo. He chose the NBL because the team in Toledo offered to get him a job that would uh, keep him busy. He was an accounting major at St. John's and so wanted to put his business skills to use. Took an offer to go play in Toledo because they could promise him a job during the off season that uh, would supplement his basketball income. 
Another All-American player uh, was from the University of Tennessee. He's named Dick Meehan, and he was the biggest scoring star for the Waterloo Hawks during their season in 1948-49 when they were in the National Basketball League. He was among the top scorers in the league that season. Meehan actually was, uh, I believe, in the Air Force. At that point, it would have been the Army Air Corps during World War II. It was quite a bit different in that era. Today, we think of athletes, regardless of their sport, training year-round, and it's a full-time job to be an athlete in that era, the 1940s and into the 1950s. Players would arrive at the start of the season, and uh, they'd have a couple of weeks, and that would be when they would be getting in shape. And uh, during the off-season, there wasn't a tremendous amount of training. There weren't a lot of rules regarding what players could do with their time. There were some players, actually, in the era, and you don't see this at the NBA level today that I can think of in any sense, where there were players that in some cases would play professional sports. They might be baseball players in the summertime, play basketball in the winter. So when they would arrive in the fall, they would uh, train for a few weeks. They'd play a few preseason games uh, strung together and uh, dive right into the schedule after that. It's interesting that a lot of players had off-season jobs. Typical average player's contract as a professional basketball athlete in the 40s and 50s might have been in the range of $4,500 a year, 5000 Some were less, some were more. Although that was a reasonably good amount of money to be making for six months, for many players who were college-educated, who had aspirations to be executives or to have careers that uh, would be fitting for their college degrees, they were working some other job in the off-season on the assumption that they were only going to be professional basketball players for a few years and they'd have a whole lifetime ahead of them where they would need to earn an income. Waterloo's first NBA game was actually against the New York Knicks in October of 1949. And it was a tremendous way to start Waterloo's time in this new league after being what they considered a a major league basketball city for one year. Now, to begin the second season of major league professional basketball, the Hawks were hosting the New York Knicks. It was Waterloo in northeast Iowa, literally over a thousand miles away hosting a team that had come in on their own private rail car from New York and uh, that was the epitome it was the team from New York and that's all that mattered and so Waterloo on opening night in 1949-50 hosted the the Knicks and uh, hung with them but New York took that game by the final of 68 to 60 just a few days later The Hawks beat the Boston Celtics four days after hosting the New York Knicks and beat them pretty soundly, 80-66. to And uh, that was the first win for Waterloo against an opponent in the National Basketball Association. In a lot of ways, that's the highlight of the Hawks' story. But teams like the Knicks and... The Philadelphia Warriors, Boston Celtics weren't particularly excited about putting Waterloo Hawks on their marquee. And so they found some creative ways to get around hosting home games against Waterloo. They would play double headers where the, let's say, the team in Philadelphia might play the team from Baltimore. And the undercard game, the early game, was New York versus Waterloo, and that would be in Philadelphia. And then Waterloo would be in New York, for example, and might play Baltimore or Philadelphia while the Knicks played a more prestigious opponent, at least a more prestige in terms of the city that they came from. So the Hawks did play in Madison Square Garden just before Christmas in 1949, but they didn't play the Knicks. They played the Philadelphia Warriors instead, and the Knicks had a different opponent that night. But they they did end up seeing just about all of the major venues of the era that were hosting professional basketball and uh, just wasn't against the team that you might have expected on the opposite bench. 
In the 1948-49 season, the, the Hawks were competitive. They were very successful early on, and uh, you could say that they they ran out of gas. You could argue that they were either the sixth or the seventh best team in the nine-team National Basketball League. During that season and into the start of the 1949-1950 NBA season, uh, the Hawks were a slower, more methodical team. But they weren't as athletic as some of the opponents that they faced. And that was probably their downfall. They also dealt with some injuries, particularly in the 1948-49 season that slowed them down when things appeared to otherwise be going along pretty well. And the Hawks finished near the bottom of their division, fifth out of six teams in 1949-50. In the spring of 1950, there was a sentiment among the large cities, among the owners, among the media, that a city like New York and a city like Waterloo or Sheboygan, Wisconsin, shouldn't be in the same league. They, they weren't on par as far as some of the owners saw it and as far as many of the columnists for the major papers saw it. So the National Basketball Association worked through a couple of ideas that they thought might push some of the smaller city teams out of the NBA. They, uh, for example, had to put up a $50,000 performance bond where if the team couldn't operate, ran out of money, couldn't pay its players, couldn't make its road trips, and failed to be a functioning entity within the NBA, that $50,000 bond would be forfeited. It had to be backed by an insurance company or a bank. And well, the Hawks and the Sheboygan Redskins were able to manage that because they had tremendous community support in both cases. And so they went to the league meetings in April of 1950, and ultimately the rest of the league voted to exclude Waterloo, Sheboygan, and Denver from the scheduling process. That was really the end for Major League Professional Basketball in Waterloo. I'd like to read something from the local paper, the Waterloo Courier. This was an article from just a few years after Waterloo had had a team in the NBA. Recapping the era, uh, the article says, the fortunes of pro basketball fluctuated, and even when crowds were good, there was one difficulty or another, sometimes a losing season, sometimes mounting expenses, and sometimes strife within a league itself. Waterloo pro basketball fans always have insisted that the city would be in the NBA today if the big city members had not forced out smaller cities. I think that captures the sentiment of Waterloo in the early 1950s and the disappointment that many people felt that they'd had something and it had been taken away from them. And in many ways, that's why the story of the Waterloo Hawks isn't really well known today, even in Waterloo itself, because at the time, the people who had made it happen, who had made basketball viable in Waterloo at the highest level of pro basketball at the time, I think really felt a disappointment. It wasn't something that they wanted to brag about. We look at it today as being a major accomplishment for a city of 70 or 80,000 people to have a team playing against opponents from New York and Philadelphia and Boston. And you've been listening to Tim Harwood of Waterloo, Iowa's News Talk 1540, KXELAM. What a story about a time and place that players had part-time jobs, all player half the year, an accountant or whatever, the other half. Tim Harwood's story of the Waterloo Hawks, here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
love you, Dad. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 